Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Guess what, Mango? What's that, Will? All right, so you remember how a while back I told you that we'd won this big prize in an event we went to. In fact, the whole family had won a trip to Dollywood. Yeah, of course I do. I I feel like every month I ask you when you guys are going to make the trip. Well, you know, it just didn't feel right to go until I felt like I was an expert on all things Dolly Parton. I mean, (laughs) it's not like you have to know everything about Dolly to ride a roller coaster, but it just seemed like a good excuse to learn more about somebody who's been such a superstar for, you know, not only our entire lives, but several decades before that. Yeah, and and we've actually been talking about doing this episode for a while now. Dolly Parton's obviously a legend. I think what I find most fascinating about her is that it's really difficult to find an artist who's appealed to so many different types of people for so many decades. It's really impressive. So, you know, in preparation for my family trip to Dollywood, because that's really what this is all about, we thought, (laughs) you know, today was the day to talk about how Dolly became Dolly and how she found inspiration for some of her most well-known songs and Of course, which African nation came to love Dolly most? So let's dive in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Mangesh Hatikater. And on the other side of the soundproof glass, wearing this ruby rhinestone vest and the biggest, blondest wig. I really think it's the biggest one I have ever seen. (laughs) That's our friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. And you know, I do have to give him credit for his boldness because that's a tough look to pull off. And believe me, he does not pull it off. (laughs) But it is a lovely tribute. So uh, Tristan, I'm sure Dolly would be more than honored. Well, and when you get down to it, that's really what today's episode is all about. It's honoring Dolly Parton. Because at this point, it's safe to say that Dolly's something of an American icon. I mean, just think about it. Like, she's been in the spotlight for the better part of six decades now. 
And during that time, she's made a name for herself, you know, not only as a prolific singer and songwriter, but Mm -hmm. as a businesswoman, a humanitarian, and of course, even a theme park owner. But, you know, really the thing that earns Dolly her American icon status is the fact that she achieved all of her success in spite of or perhaps because of her markedly humble beginnings. So today we're going to look past that platinum blonde wig and any of the gaudy outfits that make Dolly so instantly recognizable. And instead, we're going to focus on that highly skilled performer beneath all of that glitz and glamour. That's right. And before we get into just how humble Dolly's beginnings were, I thought I'd give some perspective by writing down a few of her major accomplishments. So for starters, she's been nominated for 47 Grammy Awards, eight of which she's won. She's also been nominated for two Oscars, two Emmys, and one Tony. Definitely egotting there. She's uh, <laughs> in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. She's in the Grammy Hall of Fame. She's also in the Country Music Hall of Fame. And and lastly, she's composed more than 3,000 songs in her life and wow. sold over 100 million albums worldwide. That's just phenomenal. It's just incredible when you lay it all out like that. It's hard to think of anyone who's pulled off anything of of that magnitude in the, mm-hmm. the music world. But, you know, maybe what's most impressive to me is that even at 72, Dolly really shows no signs of stopping. Not only is she still recording and touring on a regular basis, I mean, she's still breaking records and racking up awards. Just looking <laughs> at a couple of these records, it was just this past January, Dolly was recognized for not one, but two Guinness World Records. Now, the first of these was for being the female artist with the most hits on Billboard's Hot Country Song Chart. This is a whopping 106, 106 songs that hit that chart. But the second of these records was for having the most decades with a top 20 hit on the same chart. Now, all told, Dolly's landed 20 top hits on the chart that are spread out across six decades. And that's actually enough to beat out other country legends like George Jones, Reba McIntyre, and even Elvis himself. That's crazy. So obviously now we have an idea of where Dolly is today. I think we should take a little time to talk about where she started. And that's this rural town in Tennessee. It's called Locust Ridge, just next to the Smoky Mountains National Forest. And this is important because the concept of home has really been the driving force behind Dolly Parton's entire career. I mean, it's something I think we'll see throughout the show today. But it wasn't just the location that made Dolly's early years so formative. Like her family was dirt poor. I mean, she uses that phrase all the time. And so much so that when Dolly was born in January of 1946, her dad actually persuaded the local doctor to deliver her by giving him a big sack of oatmeal. Like, that's what he traded for. Oh, wow. I mean, I like oatmeal as much as the next guy, but let's be honest about this. I mean, the doctor really got the short end of the straw on that one, I think. (laughs) So there's at least one person who might disagree with you on that. So uh, Dolly's actually the fourth of 12 children. And one of her sisters, Stella Pardon, later wrote about their father's deal with that same doctor. So this is what she wrote. Quote, Daddy paid Dr. Thomas a sack of meal to deliver Dolly. She was an expensive baby. Sometimes we'd pay him with chickens, whatever we had available. (laughs) That's pretty wild. I mean, I know I'm from generally the same region of the country, but I, I've still <laughs> always been curious about these Appalachian exchange rates. So a sack of oatmeal is actually worth more than live chicken. So I, I guess I, I, I stand corrected here, Mango. <laughs> well, uh, honestly, life in Locust Ridge was kind of a raw deal all around for the pardons. I mean, Dolly's father was a sharecropper. He barely made enough money for the family to survive. He often had to barter for goods and services, just like, you know, delivering a baby or health services. The um, the 14 pardons all lived in a one-room cabin. There was no running water, no gas, no electricity. And, you know, that just sounds like a recipe for one of the toughest childhoods imaginable. But 
Possibly the worst part of it for Dolly was that she and her siblings had to bunk together in these beds made of straw. And it was usually like three or four kids to each bed. Oh, wow. I mean, that does sound incredibly uncomfortable. But do you really think that was worse than not having running water? I mean, that seems pretty rough. So I I wondered about that, too. But I actually found this quote here from uh, an interview Dolly did with Playboy. This is from 1978. And uh, after you hear it, I, I think you'll change your mind on this. So this is Dolly recalling her childhood. Quote, The kids peed on me every night. There were so many of us. We slept three and four in the bed. I would wash every night. And as soon as I go to bed, the kids would wet on me and I'd have to get up in the morning and do the same thing. That was the only warm thing we knew in the wintertime. That was almost a pleasure to get peed on because it was so cold. Lord, it was as cold in the room as it was outside. We'd bundle up just to go to bed. Mm, I mean, it's just heartbreaking to hear that. You know, in light of all of that, it's maybe no wonder that Dolly took to music at such an early age as a way to soothe many of her troubles. I mean, her first exposure to music was through her mother, who was actually half Cherokee, and she played the guitar and sang. And and she was also exposed to music through her grandfather, who was a songwriter and supposedly a mean fiddle player in his own right. And so when she was seven, Dolly's uncle gave her her first guitar— And then she started writing some of her first songs, and apparently she had a real knack for it from the very start. In this interview she did with Fresh Air, Dolly reflected on how her mother was, quote, always fascinated with the fact that I could rhyme so much stuff. (laughs) That's really sweet. Of course, she's still a gifted writer. You know, we we mentioned earlier that Dolly Parton is 72 years old this year. She's been performing for a solid six decades now. It's just unimaginable. But, you know, that means that she was barely a preteen when she launched her professional career. In fact, just three years after receiving that first guitar, that's when Dolly was only 10 years old. She started performing professionally. She made appearances on local TV, radio shows in Knoxville. And and then three years after that, she performed for the first time on the Grand Old Opry. And by the time she graduated high school, she'd actually cut recordings with three different record labels. Wow. Well, there's no question that Dolly found her calling and chased it full force from the very start. In fact, I once heard her say in an interview that she graduated high school on a Friday and then hit the road for Nashville the very next morning. That's right. And obviously moving to Nashville paid off for Dolly in all sorts of ways, not the least of which was romantically, because on the very same day she arrived in Nashville, Dolly bumped into her future husband at the wishy-washy laundromat. (laughs) He was uh, apparently (laughs) a few years older than Dolly and a complete stranger at the point, but uh, she was taken with him right away. And as she later explained, quote, I was surprised and delighted that while he talked to me, he looked at my face, a rare thing for me. And two years after that, the pair got married, and I'm happy to say that they're still going strong some 50-odd years later. I mean, talk about a meet-cute. It doesn't get much cuter than the wishy-washy laundromat (laughs) is the place where you meet your future husband. (laughs) Totally. And also, can can I just say how hard it is to talk about any aspect of Dolly Parton's life without almost just letting her tell the story? I mean, she has like three different charming quotes for every single occasion, and I am trying to be selective here, but (laughs) I couldn't decide between which of these quotes on marriage to include, so I'm actually going to go ahead and read both of them. So this is from 2014 when the Today Show asked Dolly about her secret for staying married so long, and this is how she replied. We know each other so well. I know every line in his face, and he knows every hair in my wig. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought that was so cute. And then the other quote is is, uh, when she and Carl renewed their vows in 2016, and this is what Dolly told the press. We're really proud of our marriage. It's the first for both of us and the last, which is just so sweet. 
Uh, yeah, those are both pretty great quotes. And really, when you're talking about someone who has a way with words like Dolly Parton's, it's it's kind of a disservice not to include at least a few of them. But I all right, so. so getting back to Nashville, we we should mention that this is where Dolly's career really started to take off. And you think about her first two years there, Dolly was under contract with Monument Records. Now, they tried to market her more as a pop singer than as a country singer, and and Dolly actually went along with this arrangement. But on the side, she did start recording and selling her own country songs, and she was mostly doing this around Nashville. So you fast forward a couple of years, it was 1966, and Dolly caught the attention of listeners all over the country with a song called Put It Off Until Tomorrow. Then a year after that, she followed it up with a song called Dumb Blonde. Now, this was a song she wrote about being underestimated based on her looks. It was her first solo hit to make the charts, and it kind of marked the beginning of this transition from more of a regional star to definitely more of a national one. Right, and I I do think it was around this time that she started partnering up with that other country singer, right? Like, I, I know I've got his name in the notes, but it's like Porter something? Yeah, Porter Wagner. This was Mr. Grand Old mm-hmm. Opry himself, and... Porter hosted this half-hour country music show at the time that was called, creatively enough, The Porter Wagner Show. And so it's fortunate (laughs) that Porter was the host of it, but he invited Dolly to come on to be a regular performer on the show. And the two of them also recorded this whole slew of hit country songs over the next eight years or so. And in fact, in the late 60s and early 70s, Dolly was releasing... It was like three or more albums worth of new material every single year. And that colossal output was thanks in no small part to that partnership with Wagner. So I do know the two went their separate ways in the 70s, but did you get a sense of what caused that split? Like, was it over money or song rights or what what was it? Honestly, you know, I think Dolly just became such a huge star in her own right. And so she really just wanted to focus full time on that solo career for a while. And, you know, as you might expect, that decision created some bad blood between the two of them. But they did eventually make up sometime in the 80s. And they even performed together a few times after that. But actually, I'm glad you mentioned the song rights because that's one of the first cases where Dolly showed what a shrewd businesswoman she could be. And I say that because early in her career, Dolly started her own publishing company. And she did this so she could protect the rights to that ever-growing catalog of songs. And so as a result, she owns just about every song she's ever recorded. And that's, of course, netted her millions and millions of dollars in royalties over the years. That's pretty amazing. I feel like I've heard stories of like, Michael Stipe taking Kurt Cobain or someone aside and telling them about like managing their rights or whatever. Yeah. And, and it's this recurring thing that keeps happening. But, you know, for Dolly Parton to do that such a long time ago is just so smart. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive. Amazing. Yeah. But, you know, now, now that we've covered the basics on the first half of Dolly's career, what, what do you say we slow things down and go a little more in depth about a few of the songs that really made her famous? Well, I'm definitely for that. But first, let's take a quick break. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. 
on-demand, tempt to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. You're listening to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about the life and times of the Smoky Mountain Songbird, the queen of Nashville herself, the Iron Butterfly. This is Miss Dolly Parton. (laughs) But don't let any of those fancy nicknames fool you, because despite her fame and success, Dolly's never forgotten her modest roots. Instead, she found ways to channel them into her music early on, you know, crafting songs that gave voice to these overlooked female perspectives. And this was, of course, at a time when country music was largely still a boys club. Now, she took inspiration from the female country pioneers that came before her. You think of names like Molly O'Day, Kitty Wells, and of course, Patsy Cline. Sure. But then she took her place alongside them and became this progressive messenger to rural and working class listeners. And this would be male and female alike. Yeah. And I I think you were saying the way that Dolly's background informs her music is just such a big part of her appeal. You know, her her music can be heartbreaking when it focuses on the uglier sides of life, but she never seems to dwell on those negative emotions. And instead, she sings about, I guess, learning from that pain or, you know, staying positive about what the future holds. And when you get down to it, obviously, those are universal concepts. And in fact, there was this article a while back in the Journal of Pop Culture, and it talks about how the people of Zimbabwe are apparently huge, huge Dolly Parton fans. <laughs> that just makes me so happy. Yeah, I know. And the consensus is that uh, I, I guess Zimbabweans identify so strongly with her because of how open and earnest she is about her own like underprivileged past. It's pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah, I never knew Dolly was so big in Zimbabwe. But if you if you stop and think about it, that reasoning definitely makes sense. I mean, she even talked about that kind of kinship herself in this interview she did with Biography a few years back. 
So she was asked about how growing up in poverty prepared her for a career as a performer, and here's what she had to say about it. I think being brought up dirt poor left me with a feeling of what it was like to go without. So I can relate when people are having a hard time. In my case, being a songwriter, I'm able to write not only for and about myself, but for what I know other people are feeling, even if they don't always have the means to get their voices heard. Being brought up poor, I recognize and appreciate the value of a dollar. I never spend without thinking about it. I appreciate all the things I have because I have been without. Right. And maybe one of the best examples of Dolly's music being influenced by her hardships of her youth is that classic song from 1971, Code of Many Colors. It's actually based on a real incident from Dolly's childhood. And it tells the story of the time when her mother stitched a new coat for her made from all these assorted scraps of cloth. And as we've said, the family was cash-strapped, so they couldn't afford a new coat for Dolly to wear during the school year that year. But when the colorful patchwork coat was finished, you know, it pretty much looked like a big quilt. I mean, to, to most people, it would have been obvious from one look that this was a coat born of necessity. But Dolly's mom wanted her to feel proud of who she was and where she came from and really not to feel that shame or that constant weight of her family's poverty. Yeah. So when she presented this makeshift coat to Dolly, she she actually compared it to that story of in the Old Testament of Joseph and I, I guess that uh, that technicolor dream coat that, that he receives. Yeah, and you know, if you think about it, Dolly grew up in an incredibly religious environment, so that kind of comparison was likely pretty impressive to her. I mean, who knows how many times she'd heard that story of Joseph while she was growing up. Yeah, definitely. And and the, the problem was that Dolly's classmates didn't share that sentiment. You know, when she showed up at school in her coat of many colors, the others saw it for what it was, you know, this uh, clear sign of just how poor the pardons were. And so the other kids laughed. They made fun of the coat. And, and Dolly just got totally confused by this response. And as she puts it in the song, And oh, I couldn't understand it, for I felt I was rich. And I told them of the love my mama sewed in every stitch. But they didn't understand it, and I tried to make them see that one is only poor, only if they choose to be. Yeah, it's a beautiful song, and and I know mm-hmm. it's one of Dolly's personal favorites, too. And She even brought it back as an illustrated children's book in the early 90s, and of course, then more recently as a made-for-TV movie. And really, the song's taken on kind of this second life in schools as somewhat of an anti-bullying anthem, and it just seems very appropriate as that. And so all in all, it's not a bad legacy for for kind of a ratty old coat, but it kind of makes you wonder what happened to the original thing. So there actually is a coat of many colors in the Dolly Parton Museum, but it's actually a replica of that coat that uh, her mom made for her. So apparently the original was ripped up at some point and the scraps were reused to make baby blankets for a few of Dolly's siblings. But, you know, the replica's there and it's right next to Porter Wagner's laundry slip, which is what Dolly had used to scribble out the lyrics when she wrote the song. Oh, that's interesting. Actually, speaking of Porter, did you know that that song, I Will Always Love You, was actually written about him? <laughs> You're talking about that uh, Whitney Houston song from the Bodyguard soundtrack? That's it. It's really a Dolly Parton song. It was not a Whitney Houston <laughs> song. Dolly had written it as, as sort of a goodbye when she and Porter were parting ways, and supposedly he cried the first time she played it for him. So that does make me wonder, like, how did her husband Carl feel about it? Because, you know, it's a pretty romantic song to write about a business partner. It definitely is. And, you know, there were always rumors that Dolly and Porter were maybe more than just friends. But there was never any proof to back that hearsay. But, you know, whatever the case, the song was a huge hit for Dolly back in 1974 and then a couple decades later for Houston in 1992. 
And actually, there was another big-name artist who wanted to cover the song in the years in between, but Dolly turned him down cold. You might have actually heard of this performer. His name was Elvis Presley. <laughs> I mean, it does ring a bell. So. Yeah. Well, why, why would you turn down the king? I, I, I'm curious. Like, I feel like having him cover your song would just make it huge, right? That's true. But you got to think about his notoriously bullish manager that I know we've talked about a little bit before, and that was Colonel Tom Parker. Yeah. And it wasn't just that he wanted permission to cover the song. He actually wanted Dolly to hand over half of the publishing rights as well. And of course, this was a total non-starter for Dolly. So she refused the deal outright. And that turned out to be a smart move as well, because by retaining those full rights, Dolly was free to cash in on the royalties when the song became a massive hit for Houston decades later. Yeah, so I I was reading this interview where someone asked Dolly if she had any favorite cover versions of her own songs, and she kind of gave this half-hearted answer before she finally admitted that, like, honestly, her favorites are whichever ones make her the most money. (laughs) (laughs) And that would probably be my favorite. I'm being honest, too, if I were in the same situation. But, you know, since we're on the subject of covers, we should talk a little bit about the Dolly Parton song that's been recorded by other artists more than any other song she's written. And that's, of course, that 1973 hit, Jolene. And there's really have been a ton of other versions released over the years. And just looking at the list of these and thinking about the ones that we've heard, you've got the White Stripes to Olivia Newton-John's disco remix to even a goth rendition, which I have to admit I haven't heard. I want to go back and listen to this by the (laughs) Sisters of Mercy. Yeah, I haven't heard that goth version either. <laughs> we should listen to it together. But uh, but why do you think the song in particular has had such a long life, you know, in terms of the music scene? Well, for starters, Jolene is part of this long line of so-called cheating songs, which, of course, are a staple in country music right up there with all the patriotic ballads. And in fact, there was a study of the 400 most popular country songs released between 1960 and 1987. And cheating situations were found to be one of the most popular subjects. And they were actually second <laughs> only to the more straightforward love song. So it's it's pretty interesting how many of them there are out there. But what makes Jolene stand out from the crowd is, is really that vulnerability and kind of those feelings of inadequacy that are conveyed in it. And, you know, so for anybody who hasn't heard some form of this song... You've got Jolene, who's this, you know, red-haired, pale-skinned woman, and the singer fears that she's stolen the heart of her husband. But rather than kind of being this sad lament or a tale of revenge like so many of the other cheating songs that are out there, Dolly's song is really this heartfelt plea directly to the other woman. So in it, the singer literally begs Jolene not to steal her man. And many of us have heard these lyrics, but some of them go, You could have your choice of men, but I could never love again. He's the only one for me, Jolene. And, you know, you think about that kind of diplomatic and self-debasing approach. That was really something new for the genre. And and I think that feeling of not measuring up to your perceptions of someone else was, was pretty relatable for a lot of people. And it was probably kind of endearing or maybe even cathartic to know that somebody as glamorous as Dolly Parton could still fall prey to these insecurities. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting just, you know, you have these topics that everyone covers, but there's always an unusual way to voice it and that Dolly Parton just gets that yeah. right. But, you know, from what you were saying, I, I was curious, is it actually autobiographical as well? Well, it's not exactly, but it was definitely based on a few events from Dolly's life. Like Jolene's name and physical features were inspired by this little girl who'd asked for Dolly's autograph after a show one night. And then this idea of a woman showing interest in her husband that was supposedly cribbed from this real-life bank teller who had this habit of flirting with Carl Dean. So here's how (laughs) Dolly puts it. 
She got this terrible crush on my husband, and he just loved going to the bank because she paid him so much attention. So it was kind of like a running joke between us when I was saying, hell, you're spending a lot of time at the bank. I don't believe we have that kind of money. So it's really an innocent song all around, but it sounds like a dreadful one. <laughs> That's really funny. Well, you know, we, we could probably spend all day talking about Dolly's hit songs, but I, I do want to make sure we cover at least a few of the non-musical contributions she's made as well. All right, well, let's do that. But first, let's take a quick break. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward, inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Okay, Mango, so let's talk about a few of the times when Dolly's kind of branched out from her singing career and tried her hand at something new. Sure. So one of the earliest examples of Dolly stepping out was in the 1980s when she crossed over from the stage to the movie screen. And this is when she made her debut starring alongside Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin. You might remember this. It was the movie Nine to Five. Of course, which of course. of course is a comedy classic. You know, it's got three working women finally fed up with their sexist boss. And then they start to pull all these schemes to get even... The movie was a huge hit at the box office, and and the title song Dolly wrote for it went to number one on both the pop and the country charts, you know. Uh, And of course, it even earned her an Oscar nomination for Best Song. 
Yeah, it was such a fun song. And it's got that great first line. It's tumble out of bed and stumble to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and <laughs> try to come to life. I mean, I feel like she was speaking for a lot of us with those lyrics. <laughs> Definitely. And that's part of the reason why 9 to 5, both the song and the movie, have become such a lasting part of pop culture. You know, I, I'd forgotten this, but th- there was actually a 9 to 5 TV show that ran for five seasons. I didn't remember that. Yeah, Gabe actually told me about it. And uh, Dolly wrote new songs for the Broadway version that opened in 2009. But just a couple of weeks ago, Dolly announced that there's even a sequel in the works with she, Fonda, Lily Tomlin. They're all going to reprise their roles. Oh, man, that's awesome. But, uh, you know, it's yeah. so many years later. But I guess I guess it is better late than never. But I'm actually a little surprised that Dolly's willing to get back into the pantsuit. It was pretty hilarious just reading about the experience from that movie. And she'd kind of sworn them off after filming the first movie. And as she put it, I loved the movie and enjoyed doing it. But I couldn't wait to get out of those little suits and get into my trashy stuff. <laughs> I mean, that's obviously like classic Dolly Parton. You know, she, she has that quote, uh, I just look like the girl next door if you happen to live next door to an amusement park. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty great. Well, thanks that. for the uh, thanks for the setup there, because speaking of amusement parks, or really theme parks in this case, <laughs> we, we definitely can't let this episode go without talking at least a little bit about Dollywood, because sure. you know, plenty of singers have made that jump from music to TV and, of course, even movies. Dolly pretty much stands alone in terms of the theme park ownership thing. Yeah, and it's obviously an unusual business move for a musician, but... Uh, I am sure that, like, if Beyonce decided to have a theme park, it would also be amazing. (laughs) Yeah, I'd show up. (laughs) So I I am curious, like, what made Dolly go for it? Like, like, was she just really into roller coasters or uh, what, what, what was it? It was definitely wasn't the roller coaster thing. In fact, uh, even though Dolly's owned the theme park for over 30 years now, she's never ridden a single ride there. Apparently, she suffers from really bad motion sickness, and she said she used to get sick from riding on the school bus. So roller coasters are pretty much out of the question for her. But you know, back to this idea of why she bought the park, there were a few things, really. But you know, first, it, it actually helps to know that Dollywood wasn't always Dollywood. The original, totally unrelated park, it opened there in 1961. It was called Rebel Railroad. Then it changed names and owners a few times over the decades, and Dolly finally took over in 1986. And it was then that she rethemed the park, really more around the history of the Smoky Mountains, and she decided to call it Dollywood. Actually, this is kind of a, a, a random aside, but the park's located in a Tennessee town called Pigeon Forge, and apparently it was named for this iron forge from the 1800s and for the flocks of passenger pigeons that were native to the region. Neither of these things still exist today. I think the forge was eventually demolished, and the pigeons, unfortunately, just all went extinct. Did Dolly grow up near the park? I, I, I mean, I, I know she wasn't around when it opened, but like, was it close to where she actually grew up? It definitely was. In fact, it was even in the same county. And so it was that proximity that attracted Dolly to the park for a couple of reasons. I mean, you know, for one thing, the park featured a chapel that was built and named in honor of Dr. Robert Thomas, who was that same doctor who delivered Dolly in exchange for the bag of oats that we talked about earlier. And then the other kind of equally sentimental reason she got involved was that she wanted to do something positive for the area where she grew up. I mean, of course, she wanted to make money, too, but there's no doubt that she chose this investment in particular as a way to give back to the community. And Dolly said this much herself. There was a quote from 2010 where she explained that she had, quote, always thought that if I made it big or got successful at what I had started out to do, 
that I wanted to come back to my part of the country and do something great, something that would bring a lot of jobs into this area. And to her credit, that's exactly what she did. I mean, to this day, Dollywood is still the number one employer in that same county in Tennessee. Hmm, That's pretty incredible. You know, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same case for a very long time now, because earlier this month, Dolly announced that she's adding a new adventure land to the park. It's called Wildwood Grove, and it's supposed to add 11 new attractions. It's expected to cost $37 million, which I guess will make this the biggest expansion in the park's history. And since Dollywood gets about 2.5 million visitors each year, I'm sure this new area is going to be put to good use. Oh, for sure. But actually, for any listeners planning their next vacation, you should keep in mind dogs are not allowed in Dollywood. But that's not something really to worry about because Dolly has you covered on this front. You can actually just drop your pups off ahead of time at the park's kennel, which is appropriately named Doggywood. (laughs) I like that. You know, I I know we already said that Dollywood was born, at least in part, from Dolly's desire to give back to Tennessee. But there are also these more straightforward charities that uh, Dolly's been involved in. And I, I do want to highlight just a couple of them. So the first is called the My People Fund. It was a campaign that she launched in 2016 following the really awful wildfire in the Smoky Mountains region. And the fire left hundreds of residents homeless. But Dolly's campaign used outside donations as well as some of her own money to provide all these displaced families with $1,000 per month stipends for a full six months. And all in all, the the My People Fund distributed just under $9 million to the fire victims, and it provided an additional $3 million to the region's mountain recovery team. Uh, That's pretty incredible. And, you know, I'd expect nothing less from an official ambassador to the Smoky Mountain National Park, which, of course, Dolly Parton is. So I, I love that idea, but it's official, like national parks actually have ambassadors? Apparently they do. So they were looking for somebody to represent oh. the Smoky Mountain Park for this big 75th anniversary back in, I guess it was 2009. And so park officials asked themselves, if we could pick one person who is the most recognizable and personifies the love of the Smokies, who would it be? And the answer was unanimous. It was Dolly Parton. Not Smokey the Bear. <laughs> Not Smokey the Bear. <laughs> well, they definitely picked the right person for the job. But I, I, I do want to mention that Dolly's humanitarian efforts aren't limited to helping just those from her own state. You know, she's actually run her own charity organization. It's called the Dollywood Foundation. And she's done this since 96. And over the years, it's provided millions in school scholarships, hospital donations, supplies for classrooms. But the outreach program that I've always been most impressed by is her um, imagination library. And this is a program she started 23 years ago, and the whole goal was improving literacy rates among children. And the way it works is that anyone who signs up for the service receives one book, it's free, it's handpicked, and they get it in the mail every month until he or she turns five years old. And these days, the organization gives out more than 10 million books annually. And just this February, the the program reached this major, major milestone. It it donated its 100 millionth book. And uh, I I just love, I know, I I just love how much thought went into this program's approach. Like, you should just listen to how Dolly explains it. Quote, even if you're not able to go to college, if you can read, you can find out about any subject that you're interested in. And if a book is coming to the mailbox every month and it's got your name on it, then you're going to find someone to help you read it to you. I think what really strikes me is just how many times in this episode we've talked about Dolly Parton with phrases like, 
you know, just this year or just last month or even a few weeks ago. I mean, you're talking about a 72-year-old country singer, and she's still making headlines for music and movies and TV and, of course, even theme parks. (laughs) Yeah, even theme parks. I mean, the whole idea of her as some kind of unstoppable powerhouse is actually one that Dolly seems to hold for herself. And I, I know we've been uh, quoting her a lot today, but I, I think this last one just really sums up Dolly and also the main message she wants to convey through her art. And so here's how it goes. Quote, my favorite book is The Little Engine That Could. And it's the first book we give to children who participate in my imagination library. I think I can. I think I can. It's a motto that I live by. And I personally believe that positive thinking can change anyone's life. I've always felt in my heart that the only that that could ever stand in my way is simply me. It does seem appropriate for Dolly to get the last word, but we're not done just yet because we got a few more Dollyisms to share in today's fact off. So, are you ready to get started, Mango? I think I can. I think I can. So you can now take an honors course at the University of Tennessee that's called Dolly's America. And it's this seminar where they use Dolly's life story to help better understand Appalachian culture. So Dolly grew up about half an hour or so from Knoxville, where the university's main campus is. And the class actually looks at things like stereotypes of hillbillies and the way they're represented in popular culture. It's, it's a class I'd probably like to take. So this is going to sound strange, but we actually have Dolly to thank, at least partially, for the existence of Buffy. Buffy? Like the like Vampire Slayer Buffy? Mm-hmm, that's the one. So back in the 80s, Dolly and her former manager and roommate, Sandy Gallen, uh, founded this production company called Sand Dollar. And Sand Dollar actually co-produced Buffy, as well as its spinoff, Angel. And Gallen was listed as an exec producer, but Pardon actually stayed out of the spotlight, even though she, she deserves some of the credit. Wow. You know, I think we've talked about this before, but of course you remember Dolly, who was the sheep that was the first successful cloning of a mammal. Well, it was in fact named after Dolly Parton. Now, the sheep's original name was 6LL3, which is not quite as catchy in my opinion, but supposedly one of the stockmen who was there at the time of 6LL3's birth decided to give her the name Dolly because she was cloned from a mammary cell. Now, I don't think we have to explain that one, but it makes you wonder like if Dolly Parton would have been offended by this, but as she always does, she just rolled with it and said, I was honored. There's no such thing as bad publicity. So I like that she even made it into (laughs) a little joke there. (laughs) So I I think it's funny that uh, Dolly once decided to enter a Dolly Parton lookalike contest in Los Angeles, and this was just for the fun of it. But uh, the best part, obviously, is that she didn't come anywhere close to winning. Apparently, they felt that she was too short to be convincing. (laughs) And the winner ended up being someone in drag. And she, of course, just found this entirely hilarious, you know. But, But the good thing was that she actually got to walk around some of her biggest fans and no one no one in the audience noticed her. That's awesome. Oh, right, well, here's something that I'm excited about. There's apparently an anthology series based on Dolly songs that's being developed for Netflix and supposedly will be released next year. And it'll be an eight-part series and each episode will be based on a different Dolly Parton song. And they haven't announced which songs yet and there are obviously so many to choose from, but I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, as if we need any more proof that Dolly always remembers where she came from and hasn't forgotten how to do things herself. Do you know that before she goes on tour, Dolly actually cooks a bunch of food, puts it all in freezer bags, and then loads it up on the bus? And she says, (laughs) quote, 
I do cook for a week before I go on tour. So I put stuff in the freezer so we'll have great country food if we don't have what I want at all the places we stop. Oh, man, that is so wonderful. Yeah, I I can't decide which fact I love most in all of this, but just thinking about, like, the fact that she is partially responsible for Buffy being out there, but taking almost no credit as a producer, the whole humility around the lookalike contest, and, of course, always remembering where she came from with that last fact. Mango, I, I think I have to give you the trophy this week. I was so nervous you were going to say, I think I have to give it to Tristan because he's still wearing the wig. But, uh, but he's kind of tilted to, take to the it. side now. I might have given it to him, but the wig is just, it's really kind of falling out of place. So it's just, just getting worse. Ooh. Now, you know what? As always, we love hearing facts from our listeners. So we'd love to hear some from you about Dolly Parton or any fun stories you may have had from over the years as a fan of Dolly Parton. You can always email us parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com or hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. But as always, thanks so much for listening. Thanks again for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of How Stuff Works and wouldn't be possible without several brilliant people who do the important things we couldn't even begin to understand. Tristan McNeil does the editing thing. Noel Brown made the theme song and does the mixy-mixy sound thing. (laughs) Jerry Rowland does the exec producer thing. Gabe Luzier is our lead researcher with support from the research army, including Austin Thompson, Nolan Brown, and Lucas Adams. And Eves Jeffcoat gets the show to your ears. Good job, Eves. If you like what you heard, we hope you'll subscribe. And if you really, really like what you've heard, maybe you could leave a good review for us. Did we, did we forget Jason? Jason who? Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.